Chapter 8 of English Fairy Tales. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emma Charlotte. English Fairy Tales by Flora Annie Steele. Jack the Giant Killer. Part 1. 1. When good King Arthur reigned with Guinevere his queen, there lived, near the land's end in Cornwall, a farmer who had only one son called Jack. Now Jack was brisk and ready, of such a lively wit that none nor nothing could worst him. In those days, the Mount of St. Michael in Cornwall was the fastness of a hugest giant, whose name was Cormoran. He was full eighteen feet in height, some three yards about his middle, of a grim, fierce face, and he was the terror of the countryside. He lived in a cave amidst the rocky mount, and when he desired victuals he would wade across the tides to the mainland, and furnish himself forth with all that came in his way. The poor folk and the rich folk alike ran out of their houses and hid themselves when they heard the swish-swash of his big feet in the water. For if he saw them, he would think nothing of broiling half a dozen or so of them for breakfast. As it was, he seized their cattle by the score, carrying off half a dozen fat oxen on his back at a time and hanging sheep and pigs to his waistbelt like bunches of dip candles. Now this had gone on for long years, and the poor folk of Cornwall were in despair, for none could put an end to the giant cormoran. It so happened that one market day Jack, then quite a young lad, found the town upside down over some new exploit of the giant. Women were weeping, men were cursing, and the magistrates were sitting in council over what was to be done. But none could suggest a plan. Then Jack, blithe and gay, went up to the magistrates, and with a fine courtesy, for he was ever polite, asked them what reward would be given to him who killed the giant cormoran. The treasures of the giant's cave, quoth they. Every whit of it, quoth Jack, who was never to be done. To the last farthing, quoth they. Then will I undertake the task, said Jack, and forthwith set about the business. It was winter time, and having got himself a horn, a pickaxe, and a shovel, he went over to the mount in the dark evening, set to work, and before dawn he had dug a pit, no less than twenty-two feet deep and nigh as big across. This he covered with long thin sticks and straw, sprinkling a little loose mould over all to make it look like solid ground. So, just as dawn was breaking, he planted himself fair and square on the side of the pit that was farthest from the giant's cave, raised the horn to his lips, and with full blast sounded, 
Tan TV, Tan TV, Tan TV. Just as he would have done had he been hunting a fox. Of course, this woke the giant, who rushed in a rage out of his cave, and seeing little Jack, fair and square, blowing away at his horn, as calm and cool as may be, he became still more angry and made for the disturber of his rest, bawling out. I'll teach you to wake a giant, you little whipper-snapper. You shall pay dearly for your tantivies. I'll take you and broil you whole for breck. He had only got as far as this when, crash, he fell into the pit. So there was a break indeed. Such an one that it caused the very foundations of the mount to shake. But Jack shook with laughter. Ho, ho, he cried. How about breakfast now, Sir Giant? Will you have me broiled or baked? And will no diet serve you but poor little Jack? Faith, I've got you in lob's pound now. You're in the stocks for bad behaviour, and I'll plague you as I like. Would I had rotten eggs, but this will do as well. And with that, he up with his pickaxe and dealt the giant cormoran such a most weighty knock on the very crown of his head that he killed him on the spot. Whereupon Jack calmly filled up the pit with earth again and went to search the cave where he found much treasure. Now when the magistrates heard of Jack's great exploit, they proclaimed that henceforth he should be known as Jack the Giant Killer, and they presented him with a sword and belt, on which these words were embroidered in gold. Here's the valiant Cornishman who slew the giant Cormoran. Two. Of course, the news of Jack's victory soon spread over all England, so that another giant named Blunderbore, who lived to the north, hearing of it, vowed if ever he came across Jack he would be revenged upon him. Now, this giant Blunderbore was lord of an enchanted castle that stood in the middle of a lonesome forest. It so happened that Jack, about four months after he had killed Cormoran, had occasion to journey into Wales, and on the road he passed this forest. Weary with talking, and finding a pleasant fountain by the wayside, he lay down to rest and was soon fast asleep. Now the giant Blunderbore, coming to the well for water, found Jack sleeping, and knew by the lines embroidered on his belt that here was the far-famed giant-killer. Rejoiced at his luck, the giant, without more ado, lifted Jack to his shoulder and began to carry him through the wood to the enchanted castle. But the rustling of the boughs awakened Jack, who, finding himself already in the clutches of the giant, was terrified. Nor was his alarm decreased by seeing the courtyard of the castle all strewn with men's bones. Yours will be with them ere long, said Blunderbore, as he looked poor Jack 
into an immense chamber above the castle gateway. It had a high-pitched, beamed roof, and one window that looked down the road. Here poor Jack was to stay while Blunderball went to fetch his brother giant who lived in the same wood, that he might share in the feast. Now, after a time, Jack, watching through the window, saw the two giants tramping hastily down the road, eager for their dinner. Now, quoth Jack to himself, my death or my deliverance is at hand, for he had thought out a plan. In one corner of the room he had seen two strong cords. These he took, and making a cunning noose at the end of each, he hung them out of the window, and as the giants were unlocking the iron door of the gate, managed to slip them over their heads without their noticing it. Then, quick as thought, he tied the other ends to a beam, so that as the giants moved on the nooses tightened and throttled them until they grew black in the face. Seeing this, Jack slid down the ropes and, drawing his sword, slew them both. So, taking the keys of the castle, he unlocked all the doors and set free Three beauteous ladies, who, tied by the hair of their heads, he found almost starved to death. Sweet ladies, quoth Jack, kneeling on one knee, for he was ever polite. Here are the keys of this enchanted castle. I have destroyed the giant Blunderbore and his brutish brother, and thus have restored to you your liberty. These keys should bring you all else you require. So saying, he proceeded on his journey to Wales. Free, he travelled as fast he could, perhaps too fast, for, losing his way, he found himself benighted and far from any habitation. He wandered on always in hope, until, on entering a narrow valley, he came on a very large, dreary-looking house standing alone. Being anxious for shelter, he went up to the door and knocked. You may imagine his surprise and alarm when the summons was answered by a giant with two heads. But though this monster's look was exceedingly fierce, his manners were quite polite. The truth being that he was a Welsh giant, and as such double-faced and smooth, given to gaining his malicious ends by a show of false friendship. So he welcomed Jack heartily in a strong Welsh accent and prepared a bedroom for him, where he was left with kind wishes for a good rest. Jack, however, was too tired to sleep well, and as he lay awake he overheard his host muttering to himself in the next room. Having very keen ears, he was able to make out these words or something like them. Though here you lodge with me this night, you shall not see the morning light. My club shall dash your brains outright. Sayst thou so, quoth Jack to himself, starting up at once. So that is your Welsh trick, is it? But I will be even with you. Then, leaving his bed, he laid a big billet of wood among the blankets and, 
taking one of these to keep himself warm, made himself snug in a corner of the room, pretending to snore, so as to make Mr. Giant think he was asleep. And sure enough, after a little time, in came the monster on tiptoe as if treading on eggs, and carrying a big club, then whack, whack, whack. Jack could hear the bed being belaboured until the giant, thinking every bone of his guest's skin must be broken, stole out of the room again. Whereupon Jack went calmly to bed once more and slept soundly. Next morning the giant couldn't believe his eyes when he saw Jack coming down the stairs, fresh and hearty. Odd splatter her nails, he cried astonished. Did she sleep well? Was there not nothing felt in the night? Oh, replied Jack, laughing in his sleeve. I think a rat did come and give me two or three flaps of his tail. On this the giant was dumbfounded and led Jack to breakfast, bringing him a bowl which held at least four gallons of hasty pudding, and bidding him, as a man of such metal, eat the lot. Now Jack, when travelling, wore under his cloak a leathern bag to carry his things withal. So, quick as thought, he hitched this round in front with the opening just under his chin. Thus, as he ate, he could slip the best part of the pudding into it without the giant's being any the wiser. So they sate down to breakfast, the giant gobbling down his own measure of hasty pudding, or Jack made away with his. See, says crafty Jack when he had finished, I'll show you a trick worth two of yours. And with that he up with a carving knife and ripping up the leaven bag, out fell all the hasty pudding on the floor. Odd splutter her nails, cried the giant, not to be undone. Her can do that herself. Whereupon he seized the carving knife, and ripping open his own belly, fell down dead. Thus was Jack quit of the Welsh giant. End of Jack the Giant Killer, Part 1